All right, how's everybody doing today? Thank you. All right, I am a teacher, as Doug said. So um, uh, this morning was like the first time I led maybe a more formal Bible study. Most of the ones I've been in, like in a little circle, so it's a little nervous before. But one thing I've learned from teaching is once you get that first class out, you kind of feel a little bit better, and uh, so hopefully I'll be a little bit more relaxed. But uh, also, kind of that is whatever mistakes you made in the first class, you're probably going to make in the second one. So uh, hopefully I, I can limit those. Um, but just be patient with me as we go through this. Um, so the text that we're looking at is Acts 9, uh, verses 32 and 43. Uh, I'm going to go through it basically three times with a few different lenses. Um, and since I am a teacher, I'll be asking questions, and I do expect answers, all right? So don't make me call on you, all right? Um, but let's first uh, remember where we were at uh, before. So just before this, um, Saul was, what, about to get himself killed, right? Um, he was stirring up some trouble, stirring up some division, really by only just, he was speaking the truth, and the, the Jews at the time did not like that. Right, and so they were seeking to kill him as they did at Damascus, um, and so the brothers then they took him to Caesarea and then off to Tarsus. Tarsus is where he was from. And then what's interesting is right after that it says, "So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was were being built up." Um, some I, I saw another translation that says, "Therefore, the church throughout all Judea." So I just thought that was interesting that. Um, after Saul left, there was some peace. Was it because the Jews are finally, okay, you got rid of that guy, we'll leave you alone for a little bit, or was there some sort of negotiation there? We don't know, but what we do know is that coming up into this passage, there is peace in uh, for the church, and as Doug talked about uh, last week, this is a rare instance for the church, and uh, I bring it up because where we're going to see Peter is that he's moving around outside of Jerusalem before this uh, when the persecution started, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. I think there's probably some reasons for that. We wanted to show unified strength, um, wanted to still reach that mission field and show that you know they weren't afraid of the authorities. But now that there's peace, there's a little bit more movement as far as um, leaving Jerusalem. It's not going to look like running away. And so he is now going to churches in the area. Um, we're going to see where he moves to. And he's being a pastor there. He's being a shepherd. So I'm going to read throughout our, the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda, Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside him. Oh, excuse me. I, I did that last time. I told you. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. 
But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And she gave her, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner. All right, so in verse 32, it says, Now Peter went here and there among them all. Why? Why do you think Peter was going here and there? What in the scripture would maybe indicate it, his, you know, here and there, like that's active. He's moving around and he's ministering to the people. Why do you think he was doing that? Any, any thoughts? I think he was trying to minister uh, <coughs> to the believers at a new church, uh, kind of like Timothy was. All right. What else? I'll make so it uncomfortable. There was no fear. That they were open, that he was that university leader of the church is probably one of the top targets. Right. What? To go out. Yeah, I, I I agree. What in the te- and he went out by himself, which is you know something to to look at there. What in the past? So in let's look at you know while Jesus was alive. Jesus what, said, "Go and make disciples of every nation." Yeah. And so if Jesus says, "Do this," like he, you know, we sometimes we're praying and want to hear from the Lord. Lord, I want to hear from you. Peter legit heard audibly from Jesus to do this. Yeah. I'd love to be able to participate in that uh, someday. <laughs> so if Jesus says go, you know, Peter better go. Right. Anything else? Anything in particular that maybe was said to Peter? The, la- the morning crew, they got it. Yes. Yes, there we go. Yes, in John, what is he told? Let's read it. Um, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, and he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said that knowing the kind of death that was going to glorify God. Um, so there he's told, feed my sheep. And that's that is obviously part of the Great Commission, right? But this is a very personal telling for Peter. And why did uh, Jesus tell him it three times? He denied because, three times. Yes. Because Peter <laughs> denied Jesus three times, right? And so remember that denial because we're going to see Peter's faith lived out here. But you got to remember in his mind, he's wanting to do the acts that Jesus wanted him to do. But he also knows his failings. Um, so we're going to touch on that in a little bit, but I just wanted you to keep it up here. So I think that's probably why he was going here and there and everywhere, um, because he was about the mission that Christ had for him. And that very personal touch of feeding the sheep, I think, probably engendered a sense of urgency there for him as well. Now, there's uh, something that's real important about this section that's different than 
uh, what we've seen from Peter so far, and that this is a very, or a much more intimate look at his um, his pastoral ministry, right? This is the, these are some intimate stories, whereas what we've seen before has been stuff that Peter's done on a very public stage. Um, this is going to be more intimate. Um, when we get into Aeneas, uh, we'll see that a little bit more explicitly. So I wanted to bring that up because a lot of times, uh, especially in our culture with Instagram and, and all that and uh, Facebook and social media, people are really looking for being big time. And I think uh, you know, a lot of our pastors, not pastors, but a lot of, a lot of our big names in, in the Christian movement seem to be that way. But we need to remember that G, uh, Peter did not just have a public ministry, but he had a ministry that was very intimate and personal. So we're going to look at that a little bit more in a minute. But um, let's go. Verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Uh, what's this sound like? Any parallels here? Temple. He and John healed. Yeah, okay. Right. Right here uh, before in Acts, um, he uh, healed a paralyzed man. Uh, what else? Anything else? In the Gospels, the healing paralyzed man was let down. All right, healed the paralyzed man left down from a roof. And roof, excuse me. And a paralyzed man, where else? Right. And what did Jesus tell those men? Take up your mats. And yes, all right. So let's look at it here. We go Mark 2, verse 11. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what we see Peter saying is, um, rise and make your bed. A little bit of uh, Jordan Peterson vibe for you young fellas, I'm sure. But <laughs> why did he tell him just to make his bed? Jesus wasn't going to have to use it. Okay. Well, Jesus said, roll up your bed and go home. Why did he just say, make your bed? Because you're still going to need rest. You know? So if you're folding stuff, it means you're going to come back. Right. You're not folding where do you Where do you usually sleep? Where's your bed? And you're at home, right? Okay, so Peter, Jesus, you know, met this guy out, these two people out in public said, roll up your mat, go home. Peter is already in this man's home, or at least where he's being taken care of, which again points to a more intimate look at his ministry. Um, and then I think also there's a, you know, so if you're paralyzed, how much can you do for yourself uh, as far as, it, I don't know if it's from the neck down or what, but... Uh, at the time, he couldn't make his own bed. Um, so he had people who were taking care of him. And I think partly, he's, if you're newly, uh, I don't know what the word is. Healed. Healed, yeah. I was, I, there's a word, I think, for being able to move your body uh, in that way, but I don't know what it is. It's flanking me. Um, but you're, you're, you're probably going to be, you're, you're newly uh, healed from your paralysis. You're also... We don't know this. It's not really expressly stated, but the residents of Lydon and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. We would assume that maybe he was too. So he maybe had a new master at the same time. So Peter uh, saying, make your bed 
is probably to me also a first step of hey take dominion of what you are now free to uh, take dominion over what God has given you responsibility over before you couldn't um, handle that and now he's given you the means to do so so a little bit of a next step uh, because I would imagine that'd be pretty bewildering so I thought that was interesting and that was on my mind as I was uh, reading through that uh, and then also uh, Sharon there Sharon however you want to say it is a plane in the area so basically what it's saying is that the people in Lida and the surrounding area um, turn to the Lord alright so um, yeah alright so let's go why were the believers in Joppa um, so again verse 36 now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha which translated means Dorcas why do you think why were the believers in Joppa there's something really uh, a couple weeks ago that we looked at, which if you don't know geography, the, the Roman you might know. Huh? One of the Roman centurion stayed there? Uh, he stayed in Caesarea, which is a little bit north, but yeah. It is, yes. Uh, right now, that's kind of Tel Aviv is a modern area. But in the story in Acts, there was, was there anyone who might have passed through there? Yeah. Well, I know the church was spread. You know, uh -huh. the persecution came, so. Yeah. Anyone in, in particular? Paul goes through Um, I'm not sure. At this point, it says he went to Caesarea. Caesarea. But here in uh, Acts chapter 8, if you look, yes, Philip in verse 40. Philip found himself in Azotos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Azotos is south of Joppa. Caesarea is north. So it's very likely that Philip passed through there. And, you know, were these believers believers that heard the good news first from Philip or were they there before? Uh, who's to say? We, we, obviously, the text doesn't say, but that is something that is uh, interesting to think about and is brought out in a lot of different commentaries. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. Now, if we look at Tabitha, that means uh, gazelle, and Dorcas is the Greek equivalent of gazelle. So that's why. Um, that's put there is um, to let the, his Greek readers know. Um, also, there's a equivalent in Hebrew, and one of the ladies who was named that was actually uh, the mother to a king in uh, Kings. So just a little interesting there if you like history. Now, Tabitha was full of good works and acts of charity. So she was a good, uh, a good sister. It tells us that in verse 36, but then we're shown in verse 39 that she was faithful in her, in what she was doing, I, I, maybe her ministry or, or just her acts of charity. What in verse 39 shows us that? Show the garments that she had made. Right, yes. There was widows that were weeping over her and showing the tarnit, excuse, excuse me, tunics and other garments that she made. So she made clothes for these women. They obviously had a very deep affection for her, which is uh, also said um, up here. Um, oh, I think it said. Anyway, we'll move past. Oops. Um, yes, they obviously had a very deep affection for her. They, they felt her loss. And I just wanted to point out how she was an example of someone who was acting faithfully where they were at and um, someone that we should, even though where men in our ministries and our lives look different, that's something that we should look at and with uh, applause. So, all right. 
Now, again, it says here, since Lida was near Jaffa, Lida is the modern-day city of Lod, L-O-D, um, that's its Greek name. It's uh, about 14 miles from Joppa. So that's well within a day's walk for Peter, and they heard he was there, and so that's why they went with him. It's interesting they sent out, um, sent him out two men at a time. Why do you think they did that? Is there any other examples of that in Scripture? Jesus sent out his disciples in twos, in pairs of twos. Um, there's also... Uh, Peter himself and John, right, uh, when they went and healed the man uh, outside of the temple, they were the two of them together, sp- mentioned specifically the other, together, excuse me, but then there's also Saul and Barnabas were sent out in two, and that is because um, in that culture at that time, you had to have at least two for, to be a witness of something, two to three witnesses, but two was the minimum, so that is why they sent out two men, and two men of uh, good repute would be the ones who'd be sent out. All right, so let's look at this text here. And Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then he called the saints and widows, and he presented her alive. What's this sound like? Like a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well... Either when Jesus healed the daughter, or it could be Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Right, and uh, he also uh, healed a widow's son. But in particular, I want to focus on the daughter of, um, wrote his name on the back, Jairus, thank you. Jairus. Jairus, my bad. These names, man, I'll tell you. Um, Yes, particularly I want to highlight that, but also um, there's a few other interesting stories, right? Uh, Elijah and Elisha. And what's why I want to bring that into context is because the way that Elijah uh, prayed over the widow's son um, and he like laid his body over him three times, Elisha does a very similar thing, right? And so what we're seeing here too is Peter doing something very similar to what Jesus did. So if we turn to Luke 8, uh, 49 through 56, Gotta get my sword drilled better. All right, here we go. This is the full story. And if we look down at verse 52, or no, excuse me, verse 51. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James. Who? Peter, right? So who we're talking about here in Acts, Peter uh, was privy to uh, Jesus performing this miracle here and obviously that's going to be in his mind um, or I would imagine so, I don't know I'm not him um, and they were all weeping and mourning for her but he said do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead but taking, but taking her by the hand he called saying child arise now what's interesting about this is uh, the Aramaic for that is Talitha Kum, right? Talitha Kum. What did Peter say? Tabitha, arise. Tabitha Kum. Talitha Kum, Tabitha Kum. I mean, that's one letter difference in the Aramaic, which he called her by her Aramaic name, 
I would assume he finished that sentence in Aramaic. So that's something else that we need to look at. What did he do? He pushed the people out. Um, and then he, because he's not God, right? He got on his knees and prayed because he knew who, where the real power lied. Um, but just wanted to draw that out for your attention. Now, that's one look through. through it. Let's go back again and look at it with a different lens. So we looked at just what was going on in the passage, some things that are interesting there. Um, but there's something that's going to happen in chapter 10 that is integral to the church in church history. Anyone know what that is? Off the top of your head. What did you say? Gentile receiving the Holy Spirit. Exactly, yes. The story of Cornelius and the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. That is huge. That's pivotal. And there are some things in this passage that I think set up Peter um, and us, the reader, for what's to come. So um, how does this, what, what ways do you see of this setting up Peter being prepared for the vision that he's about to receive? Do you guys see anything? If you don't, that's fine. Well, centurion's charitable to the Jews. Yeah. Just like she was. Tabitha was. Oh, okay. I see you. That's, yeah, I didn't even, didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Okay, so physically, this is the story of how Peter got from Jerusalem to Joppa, right? Uh, that's not a small thing if that this was left out right <laughs> you'd be like oh, and peter was in joppa and you're like oh last i heard he didn't want to leave jerusalem so there's for us the reader that's something to know but it's also for the story of how he traveled there because that would be a journey of 42 miles which is a little bit outside the purview of like a one day's walk now to uh, lida that's about a 28 mile walk um which could be done in a day uh, especially if you look, look at People weren't as sedentary as we are now, didn't have the, the benefit of travel. Uh, Rome, actually, to be a recruit, you had to be able to march 20 miles with a pack on in five hours. So I think an average person, maybe not moving more leisurely, could probably stroll a good amount. Maybe 28 miles, maybe not. But at any rate, this is how he got there. And then while he was there, he was presented with an opportunity to show God's glory in um, helping a paralyzed man, or uh, the miracle with the paralyzed man, which was heard by the people in Joppa. And so Joppa, they came, that's another 14 miles. But because they heard of that, they asked him to come there. And obviously he performed another miracle there and he stays there. So that's how he got there physically. But what about this passage might've prepared Peter's heart for um, the vision he's about to receive? Remember to think about his heart. Uh, let's look at the first name that we come across after Peter, Aeneas. Anyone heard that name before? Anyone know anything about it? From Not from the Bible, just from history, anything? Okay. Sorry, you guys heard of the Iliad, right? You know, the Trojan Wars and all that. Well, uh, Aeneas is a name that actually Virgil wrote a... Uh, story a poem about him and he is kind of seen to be a uh, kind of founder of Rome one of the first people that came from Troy up to found the city of Rome um, and my point in bringing that up is just that it is a Greek name and is a very Roman name all right so we don't know much about Aeneas we can maybe assume that he was uh, a, a believer just because Peter was in his house but we don't know 
at the very least, he was probably mixed. Uh, Hebrew, Greek, or he could have just been a Greek guy that didn't happen to be a believer. But we know if he was completely Greek that he wasn't a believer because, or yet, because why? Because chapter 10 hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, so my guess for my money would be that he was of mixed heritage. But that would be something that would be in Peter's mind as he's going through here. Now the next one, uh, Luke, Luke mentions Dorcas. That could just be for us, the reader. Um, she probably also went by that name, though. But again, that is a, um, a, uh, a Greek name. Also, though, in healing Tabitha, he, Jesus, must have been reminded, or Peter, sorry, must have been reminded of Jairus' daughter. And what did Jesus do when healing Jairus' daughter? He did something that would be considered unclean. Yes, he touched the dead body, right? So that would, at the very least, have Peter thinking about the law and what was um, going on there, and, and, and that plays into the vision as well. Also, he did something that maybe a good Jew might not do there at the end of the text. He stayed with Simon, and it expressly says that he's a tanner. That would be for the same reason that we talked about Jesus touching a dead body. It might not be something to do because a tanner is seen as... You know, that's kind of semi-unclean work because they're dealing with dead animals. So in this, I think you see Peter's heart, maybe subtly God moving him through just as he's going about being active and pursuing his mission uh, with opportunities that land him in Joppa. And I think maybe subtly giving him little signposts in his heart for when the vision comes to make it maybe a little easier for him. Uh, but, you know, maybe that was God in his grace, but maybe not. The last thing, though, is how can this be applied uh, to us? And I think we see uh, Peter doing a few things here that, that we can take and we can learn from. And the first thing we see him doing in verse 32 and in verse 40, we see, we see him be active, not passive. So be active about the mission that you have been placed on, right? And that's what we see Peter doing in the, in the very beginning. He went here and there among them all. And then in verse 40, he put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. That's an active thing to do in the situation. Um, so that we must be active and not passive. We must be ambassadors, not emperor, emperors. We rep Christ. We don't represent ourselves. And uh, he did that first. And Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's not I who heal you. Jesus Christ heals you. Therefore, rise and make your bed. Also, uh, again, I just said it in verse 40. He knelt down and he prayed before doing anything. He was representing Christ, and obviously it's only him and Tabitha in there. So he ended up telling people, hey, I didn't know what to do in that instance, so I prayed. Uh, he at least told Luke that. And then th this one, we kind of touched on a little bit, but want to get into it a little bit more. Be approachable, not abrasive, right? That is, I think, in our society... Uh, is what we see a lot of. And again, we see a lot of that in leadership. And for us, you know, we might not be in front of many people or whatever, um, but we should be approachable not only to, you know, our family and those that we are friends with or our people who are under us at work or anything like that, but also people who come uh, upon us, that we come upon naturally, that they might be there for us to share God's glory with them and we need to be approachable and not abrasive in that way. Uh, what we see Peter being, he's meek in this uh, 
in this passage. And Meek, with that, yeah. What's your personal opinion on how Peter saw these things, that miracles that happened still were able to deny them? What's your personal opinion on that? Oh, you're talking about in... like how he denied Christ. Yeah, well, so that's what we see there is that's important, too, because we see a progression, a progression, excuse me, of his faith. But I think also there's something to be said for uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out on him um, and helped him realize and having seen God's full plan as far as at the cross and the, the resurrection. Those are two things I think that are big. Before that, he was unregenerate. Right. So in his own power, he couldn't stay faithful. But now with the power of God, he's able to. So I think that is important. And I think also not getting the picture, thinking that like Doug talks about that, expecting a Messiah to drive out Rome um, and and stuff like that. So I think that's big. But I also think having the the power of the Holy Spirit is is big as well and having a regenerate heart. That's why I would think that is the case. And what we see in his life after the resurrection is we don't see him uh, really doubt in that way anymore. You know what I mean? But that, yeah, that's a good question and one that I should have brought up a little bit better because it does take time um, to become, well, it took time for the disciples to become uh, assured in their faith. And part of that, you know, we all remember uh, on, on the waters, when Jesus calmed the waters, they were like, we're going to die. And they didn't have faith. And um, Jesus said many times about, you know, you have little faith. So that's a good, a, a good point to bring up. Um, but, yeah, real quick to finish up, be approachable. Um, he was meek here. And meek is not weakness. Meek is power that is under control. And so he, he acted with humble authority. So he was, you know, he, he was the ruler, or not the ruler, he was the leader of the church at the time, but he's moving where God moves him. And in here specifically, the, peop- the people said, please come to us without delay. And he didn't act put upon. He didn't, this goes, uh, yeah, he didn't act put upon. He didn't act like he was too busy. Hey, I got to go back to Jerusalem. I got, you know, do this or that. He went with them. He was uh, in authority, he was in control, but he was humble enough to realize that maybe God was prompting him to go there and that these people needed his help. Um, One of the things in that verse, um, in verse 33, it says, there he found a man. Yeah. Which indicates he was looking. Yeah. You know, he wasn't just active, but he was, he was in search of people who were in need. Right. Yeah. Which I feel like in our culture, we, we see people in need, and we're, we're, we're like the, the Levite who yeah. walks on the other side of the street. Yeah, we look right past it. Yeah, that's, for, that's, a good, that's a good point as well. Um, and then the next one, be assured, not doubting, responding to God's prompting with boldness. So, again, we're going back to verse 40. Here, he knelt down and prayed. So he didn't act timidly. He, he, he knew who was the authority who had the power, and he knelt to appeal to him for what to do and once God had um, prompted him he was bold and he said he just turned and said Tabitha arise that's a pretty bold thing to do you know with a dead body and how do we know she was dead Um, after she died she was washed and she was laid in the upper room they were performing all of the rituals for burial so it's um, yeah that is a very bold thing to do but it was done because of his assurance and and who uh, had the ultimate power and authority. And then the last one, be authenticated, not exposed. 
Our actions should lead others to recognize that we serve Jesus. Not that we serve ourselves, but that we serve Jesus. It should be evident. So what do we see that? Where do we see that in the text? And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. And then again, uh, sorry, in verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So our actions should be such that we are authenticating who Jesus is, that um, we are an example. We, we are proving that we are his followers and how we act, and people will recognize that. And again, this text, like I said, it is showing uh, a personal aspect of Peter's ministry, but it's also showing how he represented and acted like his Messiah, his master, how he acted like his rabbi. Um, and we put that out kind of specifically in the mirroring images of some of the things that he said. Um, but yeah, that's what I got for you guys. You guys got any questions or thoughts? So I just I really appreciated your perspective too on talking about, you know, looking at the little pieces that God was laying his pathway, just almost slowly bit by bit opening his heart to what's going to come in chapter 10 with the, the vision and then reaching out to Cornelius and the salvation being brought to the Gentiles. And I think it just is a reminder for us in our lives, both for ourselves to realize the little things that happen in our lives are not just random, you know, God is placing those, he uh, sovereignly ordaining the paths of our life and putting pieces and people and different uh, circumstances to lead us and grow us. And also to have compassion and, um, you know, understanding of fellow believers who are maybe maybe not at a certain point where we're at on maturity or maybe they don't have a full understanding to realize that God is guiding them and leading them and uh, you know is growing them I mean Peter obviously I mean Peter in just a few chapters earlier if he had been you know had the whole Gentile thing dropped on him you know he probably would have blown up about it he's like no no way I ain't going there but it was just realizing that God knew he had to, he was he was working through Peter's life to bring him to the point the circumstances and just the little things in life where he would be able to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you know, he might have still been open a few chapters before, but to me, I was like, I wonder if this made it easier for him, right? And you know, you make a good point, is that uh, God is leading us all where he wants us to go, and we need to be uh, make sure that we're walking with him and walking in, in his power and not in our own. Otherwise, we can say, oh, you know, God's just leading me on this journey, but we're off somewhere else that we really shouldn't be um, but yeah someone else uh, yeah why do you think Peter approached um, Tabitha with the conviction that she you know was needed to be raised from the dead I mean people die every day so why did this particular person yeah need to be raised I, I just yeah, you know, that is interesting. Um, I think it was the prompting of the Spirit, right, um, that led him there. Uh, now, you could also say that this is a, a, a relatively small community at that time of Christians, and she was obviously an integral part, and you know, maybe God was showing mercy on that, um, that community there particularly. Um, but, yeah, that's... That is something. And, you know, you make another good point is up until this point in Acts, no one had raised, no disciple, no one had raised someone from the dead. Right. So this is a first in that way. And so it clearly was a prompting of the Lord, because I'm sure that I mean, I don't know, but I would assume <clears throat> probably that Peter had seen some other dead bodies since that time. But yeah, yeah I think it was just really the, the call of, of the spirit. 
And like I said, the, the mirrors, the parallels with Jesus is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting that Jesus touched the dead body and he touched it after it was, uh, uh, after Tabitha was raised. And so again, that kind of goes back into his vision and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's a good, good question. I, I, I think that's why. Anything else? Yeah. Just an observation of what you were saying. It kind of made me feel that he, the Lord was bringing them through their path slowly so they could gain more and more confidence in what they had to do over and over again. It wasn't falling at them where they were overwhelmed. It was just a little bit at a time growing confidence. Yeah, and, and if you even look just in physically where he went, right? Like that's a like I said, a forty-two mile journey, and uh, it, not incrementally. First, he's he's going in and out doing what he's uh, what he's been called to do. Then he sees Aeneas, and then that leads him uh, to eventually to Joppa, where he's going to end up uh, having his vision and, and meeting the men of Cornelius. I don't know if he, if, if anybody knows, but in in Galatians when. Paul came and told about himself going, you know, to, he came to Jerusalem and before Peter and told about him going to the Gentiles that Peter had already, that had occurred before Peter went out or if it didn't. Yeah, I think Doug would be, you would probably have some more. My reading of that in Gentiles was that, yes, that, well, no, he, now, Paul has not got the call from God to go to Damascus to be sent out um, um, at this point yet but if we look at his conversion um, what is it that said go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel so that is said there so maybe there was talk about that but as far as he had not been sent on that mission yet so yeah there was at least the understanding that the Gentiles were going to hear the good news. Well, yeah, that's always been, even in the Old Testament, yeah. they, they, the Gentiles were part of the plan. Um, th this little, uh, this little, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but uh, this side thing from Luke, you know, we don't know how long it is. Well, yeah. I mean, Paul uh, is Saul still, and he's in the desert, or he's doing what he's doing. This is something going on, and it's really... You don't get an idea of exactly when this time period is. Luke just makes an aside, and I think he makes an aside because he's introducing what happens with the Gentiles in Cornelius in chapter 10. And it's, he's very specific in these two miracles prior to that. And I, I think, or I have, a, I have a feeling that I believe is, uh, that there's, you see a progression there's a healing of a lame person. Then there's a healing of a raising of the dead. And then there's a conversion of the Gentiles, which the Jews said, whoa, that can't happen. They're Gentiles. They're pagans. And the whole idea of conversion is greater than any physical miracle would ever be. Because everybody who was raised from the dead ended up dying again. But if you're converted and you're his, you never lose that. It is uh, what happens with Cornelius and the bringing of the Gentiles in was a huge thing. And you see that Luke's just alluding to it. And he goes from Saul. I mean, look at what's happened. He brings in Samaria. 
You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, we're about to see the ends of the earth. I mean, we saw a picture of it in the eunuch, maybe, but the eunuch wasn't a Gentile. He was, a, he was a, because otherwise we'd have Acts 10 back in Acts chapter 8. You know what I'm saying? They made a big deal about what happened in chapter 10 with the Roman centurion. And so I, I think Luke is just kind of laying this out. But, but don't gloss over those application points he gave. I think they're really, really instructive for us. We live in a world, guys, where we tend to model those we follow. Even if you don't think you are, you tend to mirror the leadership. So if you're going to a church and somebody's really, really strong on a particular thing, I guarantee you if you stay in that church any particular time, you're going to be strong on that thing too. It will just, over time, it's like a drip effect. And so that's why it's really important where you worship and who your leadership is. And one of the most important things of any leader is humility. Humility and submission to God. And he brought out this first thing about Peter. What's Peter doing? He's active. He's out. He's out there seeking. He's, he's moving about. He's not sitting in a study somewhere the whole week, never interacting with people. That's one of the things I loved about Billy Graham. You can say what you want about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was probably, in our lifetime, there's been nobody more well-known in the world than that man for Jesus. Nobody. You can go to 150 countries, they know that name as a guy who loves Jesus. But he would dress up in disguise and go to the Denny's down at Montreat and interact with people. He would just approach people in disguise because he didn't want them to do anything because he was Billy Graham. He just wanted to converse and share the gospel with people one-on-one. -on -one. Now, how, how crazy is that? But he was so moved to be around people and he wanted to be active. And people tell him, you don't need to do that. I, I talked to people that knew him very well up there. And they, they would say, that people were telling him not to go. And he, he said, no, I'm going down there. I want to I go visit the people. And there's something scary when you get around people as a leader. And my wife and I have had people who, if I mention their name, you know who they are right away. There's books written all over Christian bookstores or about them. Who said, well, God's called me to a public ministry. You know, I'm not called to a private ministry. And that's baloney. You, you don't see any example of that in Scripture. Jesus didn't do it. Peter, think about Peter for a second. This is really important. Peter was the leader. I mean, he was recognized by everybody and has been since time, that time as the guy who was kind of the leader of the group. He had 8,000 plus new converts. And he goes to Joppa and Lydda. And he's going to go see some lady, a disciple there who died, who was a nobody, except she took care of widows. She had no money to bring into him and the new ministry that was going on. And he had 8,000 people. He didn't have cell phones, emails, or any of that stuff to make sure he was following up with all these people. But he went out actively because, one, he was led by the Spirit to do it, and two, he was that's what he was said. You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And he was also um, very much, I'm sure, influenced in the same way Paul wrote about later when he says, make the most of your time. He knew his time on earth was limited. Why? 
Jesus already told him, hey, you, you're going to die. And you're going to have to die, and you're not even going to be able to control it. It's just, it's just going to happen. And so that was the first thing you said. Second, you said be ambassadors, not emperors. Uh, and what he means by that is you represent Christ. What was Peter, what did he say to the guy he healed, the lame guy? Christ. Jesus Christ heals you, not me. You know, you know what the tendency is? And I'm sure Taylor or Brad, anybody who's taught would say this if you ever teach God's word sometimes people come up man that was awesome I love what you said today and you walk away and you think wow that's pretty good you know I did, I did a pretty good job today and you forget who's revealing the truth through you you're, you're nothing you're, you're this this is all you are you're just this and God's using that to write something on people's hearts but when you start thinking, wow, this is awesome, and you take that out, it ain't squat. <laughs> it ain't nothing without what's on the inside. And, and too many people today believe their own press reports. And what happens is you see them falling like flies in ministry. I mean, whether it's uh, the Mars Hill guy, uh, Mark Driscoll, uh, James McDonald. It doesn't matter. There's name after name, and some of you may not even know who these people are. But these were all big name Christian people who were exploding, except they forgot one thing. They forgot it was about Jesus. And and so we're not to be emperors, even in our own little personal ministry. It's always about Jesus when we're, when we're talking to people. And so that, and, and you know, what did John say in John 3, uh, John 3 about John the Baptist? He quoted John the Baptist saying, what? I must what? Decrease. decrease. I must decrease. He must increase. You know why he said that? People were going, hey, people are following him. You know, they're, they're more interested in him than you. So he says, it, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about him. And Peter knew that. And so when he went in the room down there, I don't, you know, I think when he got there, going back to your question, Mike, what happened with Lazarus when they got there? You know, Jesus knew what he was going to do there, but the disciples didn't. They go there, and everybody's weeping. Everybody's weeping because Lazarus is gone. They love Lazarus. And Jesus says, hey, Lazarus, come out. Go move the stone, guys. Lazarus, come out. I think those thoughts went through his head. He goes in. All these widows are weeping. He sees this saint, and it says he knelt and prayed. Nowhere prior to that in the text does it say he went there to raise, him, raise her from the dead. We don't know when that happened, but we know that when he knelt and prayed, then he turned, and he said, Tabitha, rise up. And, and so he was dependent on God. It was always about Jesus. And you know, I, I think when you look at what he, he said there, it's like Taylor said, the whole assurance thing, they were assured, but it was a process. Going back to your point, Andrew, that you think about these disciples. He said they were out on the water, and what? They're going, save us, save us. You know, you're asleep. He had already healed people. They saw his power, and, and we're just like that. Man, we're like two, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. We're we're in process, Grant, going to what you said. It's we're in process, but the 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 thing that God wants from his kingdom of priests 
is to be assured, especially in this day and age for us in this country where we are right now, we should walk in absolute confidence. When I talk to you out in the world, let's say I'm just at the grocery store and I see you in the aisle. Oh man, I'm scared. This COVID thing's really scary. No. I'm scared to making everybody get vaccines, man. I'm, you know, and we, 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 we don't operate out of fear. We never do as believers. We operate out of faith and confidence and assurance. You know what? If you want to take a vaccine, take a vaccine. If you don't want to take a vaccine, don't take it. We have autonomy over our bodies. That's the beautiful part about being in Christ. Otherwise, New Testament, Paul would have said, okay, everybody don't eat meat. Sacrifice to idols. He said, no, if you want to eat meat, eat meat. If you don't, and you go, well, you got to obey the government. No, you don't. <laughs> We've already seen in the early part of Acts when they were told, don't go tell people about Jesus, what they say? We don't obey you. And, and, and you know, there's, there's so many people trying to interject fear into our lives, and we stand on faith, not fear. We project faith, not fear. And it is a process. And what do you do when you blow it? You come back to the cross and say, Golly, Lord, I blew it. I was so, I was so nervous yesterday, or I was scared, and I, and I let that get the best of me. I'm sorry. Thank you for the cross. And it humbles us. And so, But it's a process. And finally, he said, be authenticated, not exposed. There's nothing worse than somebody who tells people they're a believer and tries to convince somebody they're a believer and they end up being exposed as a false believer like Simon the Magician who, who only wanted Christ for what he could do personally to benefit him. It was not about the kingdom. It never was with Simon the Magician. It was about his own personal gain. And, and you know, I sent that message, uh, that podcast to a guy the other day because I think that is a very important thing for people in this country to hear because there is a lot of people that want to use Jesus they don't want they don't want that relationship with God they just want to use it and so as we continue to unfold this we, we got to see what Luke is doing with us and he's taking us on this journey and um, it's really fascinating and next week what he does with Cornelius is really awesome and it just, again, proves why we should be about sharing the gospel with everybody. So, uh, Brad, close our time in prayer.